I'm making eighty by Chick Fil A, but I work for the industry. Thanks for joining me today, Corey. Thank you, Chris. I'm looking forward to it. Congratulations on everything you've been doing so far with the podcast. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, real quick before we dive into stuff, do you want to maybe introduce yourself a little bit more? A little bit of background, tell me something cool about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, Corey Overton, I grew up in New York, uh, went to school at City College in Harlem, and moved down to Atlanta about 20 years ago, so I've worked at various firms. I am a registered architect, uh, lead accredited, and basically have worked for about the past 18 to 20 years on the service side of uh, design, so working at various firms, most recently Gensler, before coming to Chick-fil-A as a corporate architect. So I've been at Chick-fil-A for the past about seven years now, and really, my focus has always been around design technology. Uh, grew up using Revit and ADT and all these other kind of beginning 3D formats. And then in 2001, latched on to Revit. And then really, that became the focus for my career, really, in terms of trying to leverage this database way of thinking and managing design uh, as opposed to the old way that we used to work. So. Here I am trying to lead the design technology efforts at Chick-fil-A now. That's that's awesome. Um, the it's it's amazing what Revit is. I mean, I wouldn't be here today actually if it wasn't for Revit. Because the only reason I got a job several years ago was because I knew how to use Revit. So it's amazing what that's a software that I don't even want to use half the time anymore is done. But uh, yeah. real quick before we dive into some stuff that I've seen you post on LinkedIn, do you, is the do you find it gratifying or do you find a different methodology now that you're on the owner side versus the the architect side? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, some of the, the, the main thing, the main difference is that um, on the service end, you're really focused on production and it's really a challenge in our industry because a lot of our contracts are still written based on production, based on hourly um, output, based on number of sheets. And on the owner's side, it's really about scale and data and repeatability. And, you know, in some ways, I'm, I've been very, you know, very fortunate to see this side of it because it makes me think about the industry in a different way. And honestly, I think the whole industry needs to shift more to that owner's way of thinking because the old way of thinking uh, really is not scalable. You know, you can only you can only hire but so many affordable draftsmen to make yourself profitable. Yep. You've got to shift your mindset to producing value and producing a repeatable value proposition. Uh, and that's more on the owner's mindset. It's it's interesting that you mentioned like that you can only get so many drafters because I feel like as soon as Revit came on the scene, the term draftsperson really that role shouldn't exist. Because every time I even if I'm drafting 
I'm drawing a wall. I'm drawing a window. I have to think about the construction, think about how it impacts the exterior facade. And so in a way, the technology, I mean, if it hasn't already, I'm sure it's going to completely do away with that, that role or that term. Because you got to be thinking right. when you're doing stuff. Right, right. And, and, and that's, that's some of the legacy of how our industry operates that needs to start to change. I mean, we still see, you know, drafter as a, as a, a line item on invoices. So, yep. you know, firms really, really do have to embrace this idea of probably taking a little more responsibility than we, than we would have in the past. You know, a lot of the industry was heading towards advocating responsibility to GCs and everyone else. But, you know, that's really where the value is, is in, you know, if you can really design a building that's going to produce, you know, 10% more um, efficiency in terms of utility use, then you should be able to put that in your contract and say, hey, Mr. Owner, we're, we want to share in some of those benefits as part of our compensation, and we're willing to defer it and kind of put our money where our mouth is. And you can only do that through data, and you can only do that through having this mindset of, of producing value. Yep. See, that's why I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software's Live Lab Learning, a virtual classroom experience where students can listen, interact, and learn from veteran real-world application specialists in real time from anywhere in the world. Live Lab is the affordable, convenient way for your staff to take Autodesk certified training courses and even earn some AIA continuing education credits from the comfort of your own office. Um, when I was reading through your thing, it, it, you mentioned you were an introvert. And yeah. uh, so are you like extreme introvert? Are you on the fence? Like, where do you fall in terms of being an introvert? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I've taken these tests to say that I'm an introvert and some people are kind of surprised by it. So I, I guess technically I'm on the fence. I'm definitely one of those people that, you know, after a longer meeting, I, I just need to recharge. I just need to sit quietly by myself. And, you know, when you, when you kind of get in some meetings where people tend to talk for a long time and give you a lot of information, I just get worn out. So get overwhelmed. I mean, yeah, I was curious because yeah. when I met you, I would have never guessed that you were an introvert very friendly, talkative. Um, but, you know, I took a class fairly recently where we talked about uh, personalities and stuff, and they said introverts do just what you said. They they can get out and speak and do the things, but then they have to retreat because they really need to, like, decompress. And, and then there's the extrovert who almost gets a high off being around people constantly. And so I thought it was interesting because I was reading your LinkedIn stuff. And that's where I really was like, oh, I mean, I mean, I always wanted to talk to you about something because I feel like you have a ton of experience and knowledge. But the the things you're put on LinkedIn sort of caught my attention. You know, I think you started with Roots, right? Is that what you started with, the Roots? Uh, no, man. I my, with... my post kind of go back. I think one of the first ones I posted was about process versus okay. product. And it was really talking about just, um, 
you know, as, as the industry changes, people want to latch on to a lot of the tools and kind of jump to the end of what the tools can do. Yep. And I really just wanted to put out there the thought that the process of how you get to that end is what makes it scalable. You know, you can, you can do it almost anything once, but the real business value is in being able to repeat it. And so uh, that was one of the first thoughts I put out there when I decided to start posting was to help people understand that a lot of the effort and, and, you know, resources need to go towards the things that you may not see, like generating a new process is not sexy all the time. It's not fun, you know, but it's something that if you really want to have business success, it's got to be done. I think I I completely agree because I, uh, I always lead with, and sometimes I think people are surprised because what, I'm on this side of the industry now on like the software aspect, but I've told people that you'll never hear me. The solution is technology. I mean, ultimately the technology might enhance it or make it better, but I mean, internally there are things that we're looking at and everyone wants to always jump to, well, if we had this document management system, or if we had this CRM system, or if we had this design system, we could do this. And it's like, yeah, I mean, some of that's true, but fundamentally if your process isn't right, if you don't even, if you're not even answering the right questions, technology doesn't matter. And the technology really should only enhance what you have put in place. So I, that, I completely agree. Exactly right. Yeah, te- technology is the fuel that will rocket you there, but you've got you, to gotta build something solid first. And, you know, it, the technology doesn't do it for you, you know, just like what you're saying. So... Uh, and some of that work, you have to kind of help people think through it and, and really grind it out so you don't see a lot of the, uh, the benefits and value that people want to see until after that work is done. So there, there's really no skipping it. So I, I was looking at your post here. You, um, I feel like there's been times that I've tried to help push a design technology process or whatever it is. and and like you said, you don't normally see it. I mean, I think you described it as it's the root system. It's kind of underground. And you pose the right. question, how do you promote and support what most people do not see or think about, but is critical to healthy ecosystem? I mean, have you, what have you done or what do you do to try to actually promote and support something that is super critical in terms of, say, design technology, but people don't actually see it or even understand it? Man, that's a great question. I think some of it is um, kind of being able to to show a vision, and it really comes down to communication in a lot of cases. So when we talk to each other, you and I, we, we kind of get it, right? We can almost talk in shorthand about the value of what we're doing. But a lot of times when you're talking to someone, you know, from C-suite or just somebody who, who just you know, is in a different department, but still can find benefit from what you're doing, the communication of that goal becomes critical. And so you want to paint the picture of what life could be like if you have these improved processes and things like that. But at the same time, you have to be careful not to oversell it and imply to people that I'm behind the scenes creating this magical button that you press that gives you everything that you need with no effort you know yeah so and it takes a while so then there's like no tangible 
I can't show you what I've done so far. Sometimes, I mean, I've worked on stuff and I feel like at the end of the day, I'm like, what did I do today? And then all of a sudden you kind of get over that hump, but it, it's a tough thing if we don't, if you don't tell the story right. Right, right. And, and that's one thing I had to learn in going from more of the production mindset when I was working at design firms to the owner side where that skill of communication and helping people understand becomes even more important than the actual execution of the work. You know, I find that I can find people to execute the work, but in a lot of cases, it's not the same people that are good at communicating what it is they're doing so that you can get support and resources to do the work in the first place. Yep. So when you said um, you refer to design technology, well, one, okay, what is design technology to you? And then why did you term it? It's not the thing the BIM guy does. Yeah, you know, to, to me, when you talk about design technology, it's more holistic. It's more all the pieces and parts that make up what we do in the design industry to create and maintain a building. So design technology is everything from Revit to project management to facilities management tools that, you know, help you look up certain assets, things like that. So I, I really have been trying to push this idea of a holistic view because at the end of the day, it's all information. It's all data, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all how we use it, what data is important to which departments at what time. And the, the better we can get at connecting all of this together, that, that's what's going to make the biggest difference in our industry. As all these new technologies pop up, it's not really about each you know, stakeholder being able to do their piece, you know, effectively is how we all work together. So I've been trying to really help share this idea of design technology as more of a holistic thing than just, you know, people who do Revit, you know, so that's where trying to get people away from this idea of, oh, he's the BIM guy. And people like to try to just summarize someone you know, and, and, yep. and really sh shortcut what it is that you do just for the sake of just ease of explanation. You know, you have to have your two minute elevator speech, but when you get introduced to people, you don't want the, the impression for them to walk away with is that BIM is a separate thing from everything else. It's got to be thought of as, as integrated. Yeah, because, you know, I. I feel like we talk, we've heard BIM for a long time. I even heard someone coin the term or say something about a BIM hangover because it's all we talk about. I mean, I've had people that they confuse Revit with BIM and even now. Right. I've also been a place where somebody say, well, we're all BIM managers, aren't we? And, uh, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, no. Um, <laughs> and even that term BIM manager, I think sometimes they get thrown around a little loosely. I, I think focusing on, I really like the idea of focusing on the design technology part because it really is holistic. I mean, there's so much data there out there now that we have to deal with. Um, and I don't even think we're using the data the right way. I mean, are you seeing anyone that's embraced that holistic concept and is doing it well? Um, not yet. I, I think we're all kind of moving towards that because it's still relatively new. It's only in the past 
maybe five years or so that you have um, the ability for cloud-based collaboration, uh, true cloud-based collaboration, you know, without too much effort in BIM, and then the whole focus on the data aspect of it. So those two things and, and using open APIs, they're also new. To, I think everybody is, is trying to figure it out and trying to get there first. I think for me, the, the strategy has been <clears throat> to try to work on the integrations and kind of that baseline of, of organizing a database first and then worrying about going fast later. Um, so that's what I've been focusing on here in, in a lot of ways. It really fits my role pretty well. The, the team that I'm on is, is called the integration team. So, you know, we have a lot of different skill sets with me as the technology lead, you have kitchen experts, you have, you know, uh, prototype management folks, you have vendor management folks. So we all kind of do our piece, but I find myself on the technology side interfacing with all of them together. So really trying to pull it all together is the main goal. You said something interesting about um, basically we need to be doing it, doing it right or not essentially not doing it fast or not worry about going fast right now because it reminds me of <clears throat> the idea of and I, I've mentioned this and I think I even mentioned this at the event you and I were at where I do think sometimes we get hung up on efficiency and being efficient and being productive and and we sometimes forget uh, the if we're even doing the right thing or are we you know are we proposing the right thing are we designing the right thing are we solving the right problem do we know what the problem is and it's pretty, it's interesting because here you're on the owner side and you're sort of preaching the same thing. And we got to be make sure we do the right thing first. Then we can worry about being efficient and, you know, being as fast as possible. But it does you no good being really efficient if at the end of the day you've been really efficient at doing nothing or be really efficient at having bad data or not using the data. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think of, of, of Revit and a lot of the capabilities that we have now as almost a jetpack and your process and your organization is telling you are you pointed up or are you pointed down because technology you can strap on that jetpack but if you're pointed in the wrong direction it's going to get you there quickly but you're going to get to where you don't want to be quickly and yep. then you That's have to point. you know figure that out so um, and, and, and I'm, I'm kind of benefiting from, uh, at least here, we've tried to enforce a design thinking mentality. So going through the five stages of design, understand the problem, imagine solutions, prototype, you know, possible solutions, validate them, and then launch. You know, we try to be disciplined about going through those steps. And you know, a lot of times people want to jump to a particular solution first, but if you don't go through that understand and imagine phase and really define the problem like you were just saying, uh, you might be solving for the wrong thing. Well said. So as we as we kind of start to wrap up here a little bit, so we talked about, you know, I mean, you have big firm experience, you have owner experience, so you're kind of all over the place. The uh, and you're a design technology guy. 
And so we recognize what we're trying to do. I mean, what do you think are some steps that, you know, people listening, if they're in their firm, what are some steps that people need to take to have that solid foundation in terms of design technology? I mean, is it all just um, having the right approach in terms of being a holistic approach? Is there some specific tangible things that everyone really needs to think about or focus on? You know, when you're telling this story, how, how are you telling it? Well, it's interesting, you know, some, some of the changes that I think need to happen are just reevaluating the traditional idea of what an architect is and, and what are we producing. So, for instance, uh, we're trying to embrace the idea of having a developer as part of the team, yep. you know, and when you talk about communication and you talk about ease of use and connecting all these pieces, uh, firms that don't have a development arm in-house or, or at least have a strong partnership, you're at a disadvantage, you know, these days. So, and the development piece and the programming piece is necessary to make all these life cycle connections that we talk about. Yep. So, it's great to talk about BIM and it's great to talk about process and all these different things and we can plan it all out. But when it comes to executing it, you've got to have a, a more diverse team, I think, than, than we've had in the past. I, that's a great point. I mean, when I, when I was in school, I had to take an IS class, and, or basically just technically computer science. And the whole time, I'm like, oh, I don't never need to do this. I want to be in architecture. And then I, you know, fast forward several years, and all of a sudden, I'm using Dynamo. And then I want to do a little bit more, and now there's Python, and I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I not pay attention before? And then I, at one point, I went to, you know, the CEO of the company I was at, and I was like, I seriously think we need to go hire ourselves like a coder, and so that we can have someone with the expertise on how to, whether whether it's the integrations or even just building add-ins for ourselves, um, and it it seemed kind of like a wild concept then, but as you mentioned, it's becoming less and less wild and almost necessary to, if you want to be able to integrate all the data, um, collaborate with all the different teams and not be at the mercy of say someone else. I mean, the, t the, uh, the landscape of a firm is going to start to look different. That's, that's exactly right. I, I shared a post about a year ago that uh, was an article that I found that said the world's most valuable resource is no longer oil, but data. Yeah. And so when you, when you talk about, you know, this data and this information, you know, who's, who's mining that data? And, and I think another key uh, point to it is that it really needs to be someone that's integral to your organization. I think in the past, the mindset was to outsource a lot of these types of things to um, areas where you could get it done more cheaply. But you really have to think of outsourcing these days as outsourcing the knowledge and the data that could be of value to you internally. So you're, you're really giving other people opportunities to learn about your business and understand your business in a lot of ways more so than you do. So you have That's to be true. careful about kind of being able to execute some of these things and have. Especially with on that IT side, because the information you would have to provide someone to be able to achieve potentially what you want to achieve, some of it could be very proprietary, some of it could be very um, 
important to the success of the firm. Um, and some of it may not necessarily be that great, but in general, I, I never thought about the fact that you're kind of opening your doors up to, to other folks. Right, right. And when you could be learning from that yourself, so, you know, it's, it's just a different way of doing business, a different thought process these days. And I think the people and the organizations that embrace this new way of doing things are really going to be the ones that, that advance. I mean, even, even for us, we're doing a lot of work with um, prefabrication and really trying to think of our buildings more as machines. And, and components and pieces and parts that go together that get shipped to the site as opposed to a thing that you just ship individual sticks of lumber and individual pieces and, and the GC just figures it out. You know, a lot of that thought process and that data and that information just has to happen further upstream in order to produce the, the most value. Man, I could talk to you for hours. Wealth of knowledge. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to have you come back and we'll talk about something else. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. This was fun. And anytime you want to connect, I'm up for it. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you having uh, or you joining me today. Um, so this has been great. Thanks for listening, everyone, to the AEC Disruptors. Please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. The AEC Disruptors is produced and directed by me and edited by Alyssa Chartier. The AEC Disruptors is an applied software production, copyright applied software 2019.